Hey, hey, my friends, welcome back to the Troop Leader Experience podcast. If you don't know me, I'm your host, Sarah Heater, and I am so thrilled to embark on another year of adventures on this podcast with you. If this is your first time here, welcome. This episode is going to be a little bit different from maybe our typical episodes because it's less specifically Girl Scout focused and more what is the state of girls focused. I feel like going into a new year, talk, like looking back at 2023 for kids and girls especially, and then looking forward at 2024, what is the state of things for kids? I think that uh, is a good place to kind of embark on a new year of content. And I like to do this periodically where I kind of do a, a more research-driven kind of episode uh, talking about why Girl Scouts, in my opinion, is so important and so critical. I think it can be easy to get caught up in things like you know, raspberry rallies selling out online and uh, not having enough Thin Mints to be able to go pick up a reorder before your final booths and getting frustrated with parents uh, and guardians in trying to communicate for RSVPs or whatever, turning in money, all kinds of things like that. Um, that can all, all the, that stuff of getting in the weeds, that can sometimes really disrupt our experience and our perspective and our kind of worldview of why we're even doing this in the first place. And I'm not trying to say that those things aren't frustrating because they totally are. But in the midst of being frustrated that Raspberry Rally sold out online, I think that having perspective in terms of um, why this really matters, why it's so important that we invest in creating a safe space for girls to you know, develop their relationships with themselves and others and to think about how they take up space in the world and to have access and opportunity for experiences they wouldn't have otherwise. And also that prepare them for a greater, more fulfilled, happier, healthy life. Um, that why that's so, so, so important. So I've done a few of these in the past. So Girl Scouts, the national organization, GSUSA, used to have a department called GSRI, the Girl Scout Research Institute, and they would put out a study about the state of girls in the USA um, like every other year. And that has not been a thing for I think since like 2019-ish. Um, and I don't remember the exact year that they stopped doing them. I have been really looking forward to another one, but it never came. And then GSRI was actually kind of reallocated, I guess, in the GSUSA structure. So GSRI inherently doesn't exist. However, that doesn't mean Girl Scouts of the USA does not do research, right? They still have a whole section of research on their site, but it just is it's going to be a little different moving forward. So anyway, Use, usually, I would probably try to prefer looking specifically at GSUSA research and resources. And since that is a little bit limited, um, I couldn't really find much from GSUSA about the state of girls from 2023 even. I did pull up um, a 2022, two 2022 reports from GSUSA. Uh no, one 2022 report from GSUSA, which is specifically about the impact of Girl Scout STEM programming. I think, you know, we could specifically look at that about um, that's definitely an emphasis these days. It's been an emphasis for the past 
kind of handful of years, maybe five to 10 years, and they're continuing to go really hard on STEM. So we could definitely talk about that. But I think that that is probably more of a um, opportunity to dig into something like that in the future. I want to take like a bigger vision for this episode. So um, the first thing that I want to kind of do is just kind of conjecture my own thoughts about this past year and this upcoming year as far as what the state of things looks like for girls and then and especially in the USA and then I want to kind of use some actual resources to talk about some other things that I found and read. Um, I did think it was interesting. I, I was kind of poking around. I thought it would be fun to do my predictions for what 2024 will hold for Girl Scouts. I'm not feeling confident to, enough to make those predictions, so that's not what I'm going to do. But one of the things that I did kind of come up with when that was my original idea for this episode was to uh, specifically look first at what WAGS is really promoting because although GSUSA does its own thing, WAGS does tend to have have um, a, an impact on the direction that we see show up in GSUSA. And it's going to show up differently at GSUSA and it's going to show up in its own way at GSUSA. But you do see a lot of WAGS influences. So often WAGS goes first and goes more extreme, I guess you could say. And then um, GSUSA tends to dial it back or like water it down and um, make it more US specific, whereas WAGS is taking more of a global perspective. And again, I'm not trying to criticize Girl Scouts. Um, I love Girl Scouts. Obviously, I've been doing this podcast since 2018. I'm a lifetime member and I've been involved basically since I was five years old when Daisy's first started. So I am, uh, if you if you haven't been listening for long, if you have been listening for long, you know how much I love this organization. But if you're new here, this is like 50% of my personality. Okay. So it's a big, big part of my life. And I love, love, love Girl Scouts. I love being part of Girl Scouts. But I do think uh, because of the political climate in the USA, especially because um, religion has played a really big part in partnerships and membership of Girl Scouts and in uh, cultivating spaces for Girl Scouts to be able to operate, there does seem to be a bit more of trying to appease what the U.S. population would probably consider like both sides to issues. So um, what that kind of tends to lead to is that no matter what your perspective on something like culturally political is, um, it kind of seems like GSUSA doesn't do enough. So if you are pretty liberal, blah, 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 if you're pretty liberal about things, then uh, GSUSA can seem overly conservative or cautious. And if you are generally conservative about things, then uh, GSUSA seems like a liberal um, cannonball. Okay, so uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, it is absolutely no secret what side I tend to lean toward. And um, I try to leave like anything like personal politics out of it. But when it comes to defending the rights um, and the access for girls and women around the world, that's non-negotiable to me. And that feels very directly relevant to this podcast. So um, if it's in, if it's something that's on behalf of the well-being, the safety and the um, 
thriving of girls and women, then I am happy to share my opinion on this podcast. So some of that is going to show up a little bit here. And uh, if that gets on your nerves, you know what, either the podcast in general might not be for you or just this episode might not be for you. I think you can still get a lot of benefit from um, a lot of the other kind of conversations we have here. But we don't shy away from how do we create inclusive spaces? How do we create safe spaces? How do we ask the hard questions? How do we have a high impact experience? How do we truly invest in bettering the lives of girls and therefore women in the USA and worldwide? And if that's not for you, I would actually even question like, is Girl Scouts for you? But that's not for me to say. You do what you want. As long as the girls are safe and healthy and having fun, it's really all that matters. So um, with all of that being said, one thing that I did notice in my initial kind of like poking around looking at GSUSA and WAGS is that um, there's a lot of conversations about environmentalism, sustainability. So of course, we've been having those conversations for a while. But as climate change really ramps up and the impact of climate change is really taking effect around the world, today's youth are disproportionately impacted by what's going on with climate change. So anything that's happening around the world, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this when it comes to the climate or natural disasters or anything like that, youth are disproportionately impacted. And anytime youth are disproportionate, anytime youth are being impacted in any way by something, there's definitely a disproportionate impact for girls. Girls specifically are um, more, more heavily impacted by anything that affects children. So if uh, malnutrition affects children, it disproportionately affects girls. If access to education affects children, it disproportionately affects girls. If access to health care affects children, it disproportionately affects girls. Continuously, girls are um, like having less or um, or more, I guess, more more problems. Girls are having uh, bigger obstacles um, than boys. And I know that this is this is something we run into on this podcast all the time. Um, this is definitely speaking in a gender binary. I think there is something to be said for as well um, in the spirit of diversity, equity, and inclusion that there are a lot of children who are not in the gender binary or who are disproportionately affected. They identify in the gender binary, but their uh, gender identity does not match their sex assigned at birth, right? So um, definitely there are children who are from a variety of spectrum of gender identities that don't fit into this just checking boxes of boy versus girl. And, um, and it's just not that simple. And I want to definitely take the time to acknowledge that. Uh, and I do think that's something that's going to continue to come up in 2024 as well. I think that's going to become more and more of a pressing issue and conversation for Girl Scouts as an organization and for us as people leading groups of kids of really holding space and making space for these conversations that don't just take place in a gender binary. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that a lot of the research that exists out there is really based on a gender binary. So a lot of times we have to kind of make conjecture based on what we think the further implications are from what we know in um, real life circumstances as to how the same research impacts kids who don't fit neatly into gender boxes, right? So 
with all of that being acknowledged, I definitely think that's that's going to continue to be a conversation. And also um, this environmentalism and sustainability, huge, huge emphasis, huge emphasis for World Thinking Day and global action. That's going to be like a big theme this year that you're going to see show up in those ways if you participate in that kind of patch programming. And by the way, if you're new to Girl Scouts and you're like, I do not know what she's talking about, like this is overwhelming, I do have um, several episodes in the archives in the library called Phraseology. So if you can search in your favorite um, podcast listening app or um, online or whatever, and maybe I should put a playlist together on Spotify. I don't have one at this time. I'm not really a Spotify user, but I'm trying to think of how to make it easy for you guys. And I know that Spotify does allow you to build playlists. So maybe we need a phraseology playlist. But anyways, I have these episodes I used to do really regularly called phraseology. They're really short and they just break down kind of some of the concepts and some of the abbreviations. So if you hear me talk about WAGs and you're like, what the heck is that? I don't necessarily want to take like too much time in this episode to go through stuff I've already gone through on this podcast. So um, if you need to go back and dig into that kind of stuff. Um, seriously, there's so much information. It's not just you. If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're new to Girl Scouts, everybody starts at the beginning. Everybody does. So um, it's not your imagination. This podcast is not out of your depth. You're still going to get plenty of information out of this. But yeah, you'll want to go back and um, you can learn more about kind of wags in previous episodes, including if you specifically look for phraseology. But wags is the World Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts. So it's like the global organization for girl guiding and girl scouting. So just kind of a crash course. But anyway, so um, those are kind of like big themes. I also, I mean, I would be remiss not to address that we're going into an, a presidential election year in the USA. It's um, such an intense political climate these days. And I mean, maybe it always has been, but it feels like this is a very um, cutthroat and divisive political season for the U.S. Um, and by that, I don't just mean this election. I mean the last two in particular, um, but really mounting since Obama was really campaigning for his first term. I feel like the... Um, the aggression and the um, divisiveness has been mounting really since then, and especially since Trump was campaigning for his original term. Um, so, you know, I don't think that's a secret. I think anybody can pretty much agree with that. I think, you know, we're all kind of living it. If you are an international listener and you don't live in the U.S. or if you are not a U.S. citizen, I mean, first of all, so interesting that you're listening. Please, like, connect with me and and let's talk about what you get out of this podcast because it's definitely very U.S.-driven, GSUSA specific. But um, I do know there's some Canadian Girl Guide listeners and um, – and there's a lot of overlap. So and I know in Canada as well and in Europe, throughout Europe, especially Western Europe, there is some uh, common threads as far as what the political scene looks like, the um, aggression, the violence, the divisiveness, the uh, racism and bringing these racism conversations and LGBTQ plus rights um, to, back to the forefront, things that we kind of thought were um, established precedents that we are moving in the right direction that are kind of being dialed backwards or dismantled. Um, also public health things that um, and that is kind of going to play into more of this international perspective. But um the public health, the war on public health, that's also 
a big part of it. And of course, a war on education. So access to um, free and complete education rather than really limited, restricted, government-controlled education. This is something that we're seeing in in first world countries, not just the USA, but, um, but definitely very divisive in the US and also in the year of a presidential election where, you know, we don't, I mean, we really have no idea what's going to happen. There's a lot of predictions. My actual background is in politics. So I have a bachelor's degree in political science, another bachelor's degree in international conflict resolution, and then my master's degree is in public administration and public policy. And I emphasize my emphasis in that program was um, managing diversity and change. So if, if in change management. So if you didn't know kind of my educational background, I don't know if I've ever shared that on here, but that probably gives a lot of perspective into how I approach things on this podcast and with Girl Scouts in general. So and why I think this stuff is important. But so I definitely have my own thoughts and predictions about the election. That's not super relevant to this podcast. But my point is that um, um, there's there's definitely going to be a lot of chaos going on in the political arena. It's um, any general election year tends to turn into a bit of a circus. The last few have been particularly so. And this does affect our kids because it's what we're worried about as their parents and guardians and the adults in their lives. It's what is being talked about at school. It's what concerns their teachers. It concerns their public safety. Um, and it concerns things that they care about, like... Um, their access to education, their safety at school, and, um, you know, public health. And, uh, of course, the um, – oh, my gosh. I had a total just, like, brain space. Like, I feel like my brain just restarted. Um, <laughs> of course, the environment, which is where I started, right, of saying that this, this is definitely a trend, is that today's youth cares so much about the environment. And that doesn't mean every single kid cares about the environment, but generally speaking, we're seeing this generation of kids, this um, the younger Gen Z and Generation Alpha are way more prioritizing sustainability and environmentalism and going green over previous generations at the same age. So it's way, way more important to them. And we're seeing a lot of young uh, environmental activists really um, speak up and take the scene. And um, the more role models that they have who are spreading this information um, to as to how critical the crisis is and how it specifically disproportionately affects kids, uh, that that tends to to push them into being invested in that. So, um, of course, all of those things are impacted by what happens in this election. You know the different kind of platforms and perspectives that people are running on and also what's important to the voters and so what we're invested in and what our primary issues are that motivate us to vote in certain ways. That is all stuff that kids are going to be exposed to, coupled with the fact that kids um, can feel powerless during election years, especially older kids, middle and high school, who are very, very invested in, in having opinions and having a worldview. And that's a big part of what we do in Girl Scouts is help them establish their worldview and to have opinions on things and to think about what are the problems, what are the root causes, and then how do we create sustainable solutions for those problems. We're trying to help kids feel like they can take action in a way that can uh, make a difference in their communities. And so when we're in the midst of an election year, it can be frustrating to kids who you're trying to teach those lessons to, to then feel like they don't get a vote. So that's definitely it. Also, how elections even work. Those questions tend to uh, 
really come up during general election years because kids are paying attention. Um, even if they don't want to, <laughs> they are immersed in it because they live in the country and there's a lot going on. So all of the political signage, all of the attack ads, um, all the things that are being said in the hallways at school and wherever they were heard. And then, of course, their access to social media and all of the crap that goes on on social media. So there's there's um they're immersed in it whether they want to be or not <laughs> and they're forming their opinions and their perspectives about how things work so one of the things that we can really do as adults in their lives to help is to help them understand how the system works how the processes work uh, i'm definitely a big advocate when working with our girls that we aren't prescribing to them this is how you should feel about things but we are answering questions about what are the systems and structures how did that come to be why are they um, the way that they are? Uh, what other options even could there be? And what could that possibly look like? And then um, how people make decisions, both as voters and uh, as officials, elected officials. And then um, and how do people get elected? Right. Because they're they're especially in a presidential election. The question of, a, you know, a democracy, a republic, a democratic republic, the electoral college, all of these things are things that uh, are confusing to adults who do have votes. So it's a step definitely confusing for kids. Of course, they're getting some civics education at school required by law, but also it is filtered and it's heavily censored and it's very, very controlled. And especially these days, it's becoming more and more controlled. So being able to help them think critically about these things by being able to offer answers to questions. And now if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I don't even understand how the electoral college works, you are not alone. Lots and lots and lots of people feel that way. As I mentioned, I have a background in political science. So to me, things that I might talk throw out there like, oh, democratic versus democracy versus a republic versus a democratic republic, you might be listening thinking, I don't know and I don't care. And that's okay. Um, if you have a background in politics or an interest in politics, then that is going to make sense to you. But what I would say is just like with anything, right, just like with STEM, just like with art, just like with uh, any of these other things, even money that we do with these girls is um, this is either an opportunity for you to learn alongside them at their grade level, if that's where you are. Uh, as far as information and experience with that topic, or you bring in someone who does have an expertise in that, who can help your girls explore those concepts, right? So um, there's definitely badge work related to democracy and being an engaged citizen. So like that definitely all exists. And um, <laughs> this also isn't going to surprise you. I don't know if I've talked about this on this podcast before, but I also teach a course at my local university where I graduated from in uh, public service, American democracy and personal identity. So again, you're going to see a lot of influences in my content based on the fact that this is who I am in every aspect of my life. Um, but yeah, so the election definitely going to be a big, big thing in 2024 for our girls and what they're experiencing, what they're worried about, their fears. And so this is another thing that I want to kind of emphasize about this is not just understanding kind of how the electoral process works and, and civic engagement and things like that, but also holding space for girls to have big feelings and making sure that the girls who are coming to us have an opportunity to express what they think, what they feel, what they're afraid of, what they're worried about, um, you know, what rumors they're hearing and what myths they're they're being taught and kind of helping them understand truth from emotion, from fiction, and um, all of those things have a place 
but being able to identify them and being able to operate in a healthy way with those things, helping to, um, I, I, I want to say to like alleviate fear, but also holding space for fear and holding space for grief and holding space for big emotions, because there are going to be a lot of big emotions for our girls during this and for all of us, right? So those are kind of the things that immediately come into my head as far as uh, priorities for our kind of focus areas for what's going on with girls in the U.S., I did want to also talk about some stuff I found from UNICEF as far as what is impacting children and girls around the world. So most of the stuff from UNICEF is definitely going to be about children worldwide in general, uh, especially in um, really high impact uh, danger zones, um, conflict zones. So um not necessarily specifically going to feel directly relevant to like, how do you run a troop meeting? And like, what do you do during a cookie booth? Right. But it is, I think, kind of the the wider perspective of like why this matters, um, holding space for girls. And just keep in mind, again, that anything that affects children in general disproportionately affects girls. Right. So uh, I want to talk about some of the things that have gone down. So um, UNICEF called 2023, and I'm going to link to my sources of where I pulled this information from. Some of it I will probably end up reading blurbs, but um, I'm going to try to just like use my own words. I'm not trying to obviously just rip anything off. This is from UNICEFUSA.org directly. Um, but they have an article recap that is called After a Brutal Year, There's Room for Hope, UNICEF's Impact in 2023. And this is just from two days ago at the time that I'm recording this. It's from December 29th, so a few days ago by the time this airs. So um, they specifically refer to 2023 as a brutal year for children. And so this is going to get dark um, for a minute, but the point is that there is hope and um, there are a lot of really, there's a lot of really important good work going on to try to help support kids. So just trigger warning, um, this, this gets a little dark. So um, they mention in this article that it's estimated that a quarter of the world's children are living in or fleeing from conflict zones. So I, just think about that. A quarter of the world's children are living in or fleeing from conflict zones. So some of those could be protracted conflicts like the Democratic Republic of Congo in Ukraine and in Yemen. Um, and in countries like that and in conflicts like that, we have seen, as they put it, unleashed waves of child rights violations and years of suffering. Um, but also in 2023, we saw the rise of new conflicts. So um, violence between armed forces and groups in Sudan, which drove at least six million people from their homes. More than half of those people are children, uh, which is ma actually has made it the largest child displacement crisis globally. So that's what's going on in Sudan. Uh, obviously, a lot of people are talking about Gaza and Israel, and um, Gaza has become the most dangerous place in the world for children, according to UNICEF, with nearly 6,000 killed in less than three months of war this year. 
So um, uh, you hear a lot of people talking about Gaza. I don't hear nearly as many people in the U.S. talking about Sudan, which is um, the largest child displacement globally, crisis globally, right? So um, both of those are obviously very big, important things that have been going on in 2023 for kids. And of course, behind the numbers, there's unimaginable child suffering, um, rights violated, rights denied. Um, so it's scary and it's sad. Um, but in addition to those kind of protracted conflicts, there's also um, devastating natural disasters like the catastrophic flooding in Libya, earthquakes in Afghanistan and Morocco, disease outbreaks like the cholera epidemic in Haiti, and of course, food insecurity that is experienced, especially in the Horn of Africa, but food insecurity worldwide, for sure. I mentioned this, but climate change is also wreaking havoc on young lives uh, by causing severe droughts around the world, heat waves, and more intense storms. Um, this is not from UNICEF, but I will say, <laughs> living in Arizona, personal conjecture. Um, we had an insane heat wave. I remember reading this summer that in 2023 that our temperatures reached and sustained in July. Actually, weren't we weren't predicted to have a summer this hot, sustained at the, those temperatures until 202054, according to the heat index. And um, we ended up having that uh you know 30 years early so 2054 i think that's what it was and um yeah so it's insanely insanely hot and it's not just gonna be better next year right like that's not how it works um maybe year to year you don't necessarily see the trend but going um over you know 5 10 20 years it's going to continue to get hotter and hotter and so living in the desert that's there's obviously um a water crisis that is exacerbated by that there's an energy crisis that's exacerbated by that this is um on the precipice of becoming a crisis state to try to live in in the summer for humans right so and definitely um, when you also look at kind of the wage gap and how people in poverty are disproportionately affected, but also do live in these areas, um, not just on the reservation land, but definitely on the reservation land, uh, a disproportionate amount of poverty. And also um, throughout our state, we have some pockets of just complete disparity compared to like insane wealth that's also experienced in this um in this state. So there's there's a portion of people who have no options for migration and um, relocation, but they are disproportionately like it's not livable to live here in the summer and that's going to continue to get worse, right? So you know, I've personally experienced that here in the US, but definitely that's going on on a global scale um, worldwide. And um, UNICEF, going back to this article, says, of course, these crises do not occur in a vacuum. Each has the potential to amplify the impacts of others, exacting ever greater tolls on children and the systems they rely on. So the different things that are going on affect each other, right? So um, they say the consequences of this are plain. The number of children living in multidimensional poverty has increased by 15%. And that looks like 1.2 billion globally in just the past years. The number of children living in multidimensional poverty is 1.2 billion children globally. 
And that's just in the past three years that it's jumped 15%. Nearly 600 million children are not meeting minimum reading standards. So education crisis is rampant. 35 million children are suffering from wasting. Now, I had to look up an actual definition of wasting because I wanted to make sure that I got it right. So if you aren't familiar with this concept, um, it's about proper nutrition for children to grow up healthy and reach their full potential. So wasting is a condition when you're too thin for your height. And this is specifically um, applicable to children because they're developmentally reliant on nutrition to grow and also for um like brain development so the mis most visible and life-threatening form of malnutrition it is severe wasting and that weakens immune systems which leaves children vulnerable to disease developmental delays and death so um, when you're thinking about the fact that we are living in um, a global pandemic and also epidemics around the world and um, children are particularly vulnerable to disease if they are experiencing wasting and um it can also cause of course developmental delays and death so um, 35 million children worldwide <clears throat> are suffering from wasting. Each day, nearly 14,000 children under the age of five are dying from largely preventable causes like diarrheal diseases and malaria. <clears throat> so this is um, definitely something else that I didn't necessarily touch on, but I do think is going to continue to be more and more relevant as debates over vaccines and access to vaccines continues to be uh, a central conversation in the U.S. This is particularly, rele particularly relevant because if you look at what's going on worldwide, every single day, 14,000 children under the age of five are dying from preventable diseases. So uh, when we have opportunities to prevent disease like through vaccines although that's not the only way right in the cases of malaria it could look like malaria nets um, it could look like access to good nutrition it could look like access to safe uh, living environments um, there's lots and lots of things that could go into preventing diseases but um, and hygiene of course but each day nearly 14,000 children under the age of five right that's a lot dying from preventable diseases so unicef says these are dark times especially for children and it can be hard to really see the hope so they have a really good quote in here from uh dr martin luther king and they he said i know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars so um, UNICEF is then using this as a kind of opportunity to talk about great work that has been done to support children. So in the last 20 years, for example, um, we've seen a dramatic reduction in child malnutrition globally. So although child malnutrition is a huge issue and it's very prevalent and, um, and it's a crisis in many parts of the world today and, and globally, <laughs> Um, it is a an overall decrease in the number of stunted children by 55 million, which is over one third. So in the last two decades, that is a huge, massive improvement and um, a huge accomplishment. 
Child immunization rates, which fell dramatically during the COVID-19 pandemic because families did not have access to immunization programs. And of course, in the U.S., there's a lot of drama and debate and politics around immunization. But worldwide, we're talking um, access. Okay, that's that's what we're talking about globally, Um, uh, getting resources distributed around the world and then um, communities who are most at risk having access to go and get those immunizations. So we're not necessarily really talking talking about politics when we're talking about this, but child immunization rates fell dramatically during the COVID-19 pandemic, and yet they have rebounded with global immunization services reaching 4 million more children last year than in 2021. So uh, as the kind of world is returning to being able to um, distribute and move more freely again in the wake of the pandemic, um, immunization services have reached a lot more children, have been able to reach a lot more children. So that's great. Um, And I thought this was cool, but there's not a lot more information in this specific article about it. Um, It says, UNICEF says, we have reached near universalization of children's access to primary schooling. So it's almost universal that any child around the world has access to primary schooling. That is amazing. I mean, really, really um, powerful to think about. And just two weeks ago, at the time of this article, at COP28 in Dubai, representatives from nearly 200 countries reached a landmark agreement to transition away from fossil fuel consumption. For the first time ever, the COP recognized the unique and disproportionate impacts of climate change on children's health and well-being, proposing an expert dialogue on this issue. So that's amazing. And UNICEF specifically reached more than 23 million people this year in 2023 with safe drinking water and vaccinated 27 million children against measles. UNICEF and their partners also provided more than 150 million children with services for early detection and treatment of child wasting in high-risk settings. So there definitely is hope especially when we focus on reaching the most vulnerable and disadvantaged children. And the most vulnerable and disadvantaged children, according to UNICEF, are children living in poverty, children affected by conflict, children with disabilities, and girls. So when we do that, when we focus on the rights and well-being of children, we can create better conditions for all children, right? So 2024 will not be easy. There's definitely going to be more challenges ahead, but there there definitely is hope. And there was another cool thing that I saw that was, so they have another article, which I'll link to, but I'm only going to share kind of like one big takeaway. UNICEF USA Advocacy 2023 wrapped, so specifically about UNICEF USA, um, what's been going on in the U.S. in 2023. Um, They talked about securing funding. They talked about rights to education. They talked about mental health. But what I want to specifically say, what I want to specifically share is also um, ending child marriage in three more U.S. states. That's another thing that happened in 2023. So that's huge strides um, toward ending child marriage in the USA. And just so you know, UNICEF defines child marriage as a harmful practice and a violation of child rights and believes that marriage before age 18 should be prohibited in all circumstances everywhere. So um, absolutely no, um, no, uh, I don't want to say no exceptions, but absolute protection for children under 18. Um, In the U.S., there is no federal law to protect children from child marriage and, and full stop right? 
In the U.S., there is no federal law to protect children from child marriage. Each state sets its own requirements, and some have set no minimum age for marriage. And this is something that has come up in Girl Scouts before, where girls have chosen to use their Gold Award project to advocate for the ending of child marriage or for raising the minimum weight minimum age in their state for marriage and often despite really really good work on behalf of those girls who do those product projects the people in office actually vote against um raising the minimum age or dismantling child marriage in their state and that is mind-blowing to me that in the u.s our elected officials would fight as hard as they do to continue child marriage practices it doesn't seem like you know that seems like when we're talking about unicef we're talking about globally like that wouldn't affect our specific girls and it definitely does um so um UNICEF, of course, uh, is a member of the National Coalition to End Child Marriage in the U.S. with a long-term goal of raising the minimum age of marriage in every single U.S. state. So in 2023, U.S.-based advocates, um, like I said, they made great strides toward ending child marriage. And over the summer in 2023, Connecticut, Michigan, and Vermont all banned child marriage, and they joined the growing list of states that have already outlawed the practice, which are Delaware, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. And that's it. I know that seemed like it was a long list while I was making it, but if you think about <laughs> all 50 states, that's only, what, uh, 10 one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, ten, including the three new ones. So Connecticut, Michigan, and Vermont are the ones that banned it child marriage this year. And um, the states that had already ended the practice, I just want to reiterate, Delaware, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. So only ten states. So I thought that was really interesting. Again, it's a little bleak to think that in 40 U.S. states and um, – in territories that it is totally legal for children to get married and in some states there's literally no minimum age but um, to see that list growing of states that have banned it is promising um, and then I wanted to see I think I had oh another another cool thing I'll share some takeaways is um, how UNICEF and their partners were able to specifically support children in um, conflicts and displacement, um, economic collapse, natural disasters, etc. So uh, the kind of support that they provide worldwide. So UNICEF is actually physically on the scene providing children with urgently needed humanitarian assistance from safe water, sanitation, healthcare, malnutrition, treatment, immunization, education, psychosocial support, child protection, and more. So they were able to um, support emergency by delivering emergency supplies and healthcare for children and families after a major earthquake struck in Turkey and Syria in February and Afghanistan in uh, October. Um, UNICEF rushed aid to rust. Oh my gosh! UNICEF rushed aid to flood victims in Libya and parents struggling to keep their kids safe in Haiti. And they worked to advance the rights and well-being of children with disabilities worldwide. 
As the war in Ukraine stretched into its second year, UNICEF helped children continue their education and set up safe spaces where they could play. When full-scale civil war erupted in Sudan, uh, UNICEF created the world's largest, oh, I'm sorry, UNICEF, which did create the world's largest child displacement crisis. UNICEF rapidly scaled up aid for families fleeing violence. And as Gaza became the most dangerous place on earth for children, UNICEF continued to call for humanitarian ceasefire and to press for unrestricted access to ramp up delivery of critical life-saving support, including water trucking, essential nutrition supplies, blankets, tents, and warm clothing. So what I want to go ahead and take this opportunity to say is um, I'm going to link in the show notes to UNICEF, their shop where you can actually um, contribute dedicated donations. And when I say that, I mean, you can just give a general donation when you go to the site, you can set up to give monthly, but you can also go in there and specifically support like girl uh, girls having access to school so uh, it provides period supplies menstruation supplies to girls in disproportionately impacted communities where that would prevent a girl from being able to continue going to school that significantly increases girls ability to get quality education because they don't fall behind and it also significantly impacts the dropout rate um you can also buy um you can give a donation which purchases supplies for um, education kits, which can bring education to as many as 40 children per kit in um, displacement situations like Ukraine, where they they don't have access to their normal school system. Um, so there's a lot of things like that. There's also family kits for um like nutrition hygiene or uh, yeah nutrition hygiene and um that kind of kit right where you can you can send families um relief supplies and dignity supplies so there's a lot of different ways that you can give really dedicated donations to causes at all different price points so from a, a very small donation which if a bunch of us got together and put in two or five dollars that could make a really really big impact and then in addition if you have a little bit more to give there are things uh, uh you know the education kits i think it was were just 190 dollars to give access to education to up to 40 kids in places like Ukraine. So I think that is really, really powerful. So I'm definitely going to link um, this. I learned a lot and I am going to put all of the resources that I was referencing and reading from. I'm also going to put um, links to donate there. And then I want to also kind of bring it back to Girl Scouts in the USA, right? And I say all of this, I share all of this, because when we look at being in an election year, the discussions that are happening and the impacts of um, the election, the impacts of policy and the impacts of elected officials, and we think about how that affects girls in our communities, and we look at what the trends are for girls around the world and how girls are disproportionately impacted, I think it can really help give perspective that no one freaking cares about raspberry rallies, you guys. It's just not the important thing. Giving a space for girls to be safe and to laugh and to have fun and to connect with each other and to have an adult they can trust and um, to have those spaces for girls that are 
I'm going to call them girls only spaces. Again, I know this is speaking in the gender binary and I really would love if you have advice for how I can work around this, but, um, but spaces for girls, girls only spaces, spaces for girls to be safe with other girls. This is more important than you think. And so when you are frustrated or by the little things getting in the weeds, or when you are questioning whether what you do is enough or whether what you do is really important, or is this even having an impact? I want to remind you that girls around the world need spaces where they can be with other girls, where they can be with adults they can trust, where they can explore themselves and their personal identities and um, get to know these other girls and make connections with other girls and to have these friendships and relationships and to build skills for for building healthy relationships with others. These and these life skills and um, career skills that will help them in their households and in their education and in their careers in the future. This literally is world-changing work and this is why we call it a movement. So when you're feeling like you didn't get through the lesson plan or the badge work and you you were felt like you were being the, the bad cop trying to get girls under control and you feel like um, they're disrespecting you or they're um, disruptive or they're chaotic or whatever, just know that just providing a safe space for girls to be girls is the work. This is, this is the important work. This is what makes all of these bigger efforts and these bigger impacts possible is um, just even having kids, giving kids a safe space to be kids. So thank you for everything that you've done for girls in 2023. And thank you for um, being here to do the work in 2024 to support girls. This work really, really matters and it's really important. And when we feel like, you know, is this is this part important? Is this detail important? Um, is this detail going to derail me? Does this make me not want to do it anymore? I just want to remind you of of how powerful the little things really are how powerful the very basic foundation of Girl Scouts really, really is and why it matters. So yes, we could talk about new badges that came out this year. Yes, we could talk about STEM and all of it does relate back and it all does matter. And that's why it's important to me to do these kind of episodes where then I can make that relation back to why this is important, why this stuff matters why giving girls the empowerment of, of being able to manage money confidently and having financial literacy, why that matters, why giving girls access to STEM skill building, why that matters, why being able to have relationships with other girls or having an adult they can trust in their life, why that matters. I want to be able to bring it all back to this like larger perspective of this movement of what we're trying to do for kids worldwide and especially girls who are disproportionately impacted by everything that impacts children, right? So thank you, thank you for all of the work that you've already done to provide safe spaces for kids. And thank you in advance for being on this journey going into 2024 to continue to better the lives of girls and women. And I just, you know, we don't always get thanked for doing the work to make our communities a better place. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And here's to 2024.